I was started a church and saw a, a new believer uh, come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, and, and she was rejoicing and exuberant uh, and making an impact on her family. And then just six months later, at the age of 39, she dies in a car accident. And I remember thinking, God, that just doesn't seem right. How does that happen? Well, I want to take you to Acts chapter 12. And we're going to look at this Easter morning, maybe some of these same questions I'm asking have asked, the believers were asking on an Easter worship time. Acts chapter 12, we're going to read, uh, as we begin, uh, the very first few verses of this chapter, and then we're going to skip down to the end, as we read this story about Herod. James and Peter, and what transpired in this, and it's really about Herod and how God was working uh, with these few. And so, uh, in honor of this being God's word, let's stand as we read this together, Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to the four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to them, wrap your cloak around you and followed me. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought it was seeing a vision. But when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. If you go down to verse 18, Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea, to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. And on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul 
returned from Jerusalem when they had completed the service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. You may be seated. Of course, this being Easter Sunday, the thought occurs to you, why does he preach on Acts? Is he so diehard to finish the book of Acts that he's doing this on Easter Sunday? Well, uh, I was contemplating what to preach on until I noticed carefully the text uh, that we are reading. Did you notice when this was taking place? It gives you a little clue when he says, This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is Passover, right? You remember Passover? Of course, that's what happened in Egypt, and they still celebrate to this day. And remember how God delivered the Jews out of Egypt through the Passover lamb. This is, was uh, reminded of us in the song today. You remember uh, the man was bringing his lamb uh, to be sacrificed as part of the Passover. And so the, the story is uh, in Exodus that uh, God said he was going to deliver the people with one final plague and that every firstborn son in Egypt would be killed, slaughtered by a death angel that would come through unless they slaughtered a lamb, a perfect lamb. And put the blood on the doorposts. And every doorpost that the death angel saw with the blood on it, he passed over and a child was spared that day. And so they remembered that. Worship the Lord every year on this time. And so wouldn't you know it, when Jesus is gathering together with his disciples, what are they celebrating? The Passover. All right? Jesus died during Passover. His resurrection happened during Passover. Passover. This is what's going on even now among the Jews. They're celebrating Passover uh, with Easter. And so as the Jews, uh, the believers now are remembering and considering Passover, they could not help but think about Jesus' resurrection as we do to this day. The Jews, the early church, was celebrating Easter in the story. Jesus happened to die during Passover, was resurrected. Notice what Peter's doing. What is Peter doing during Passover? Peter is in prison during Easter. What, are, what is the church doing in Jerusalem? And Easter, they're not just thinking about the death of Jesus. They're probably thinking about the death of James. And they're praying for the deliverance of Peter on a Sunday morning in Easter. So what does that mean for us today, that the early church, as they were celebrating Easter, was considering the death of James and praying for the release of Peter, and meanwhile you've got this man named Herod that is now hounding out the the Jewish Christian leaders. Remember, Herod was the one involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. He was, uh, had Jesus came to Herod and Herod made fun of him. He was trying to get him to do a miracle because he had always wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus said not one word to Herod. He's the grandson of Herod the Great. Remember, Herod the Great tried to kill uh, Jesus uh, on Bethlehem and had all the, the, uh, the children slaughtered in Bethlehem. And so here's these characters, Herod, Peter, uh, and then James. So what does this mean for Easter today? All right, so when Jesus died on the cross, rose again on Sunday morning, it was an announcement that 
Paul explained, Peter explained, and that we hold true today, that when Jesus rose again, death essentially lost its victory. All right? So when John is having a vision of Jesus and Revelation, there's an interesting thing said about him in Revelation chapter 1. If you were to go there in verse 12, notice how Jesus is described. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. The lampstands represented the churches. In the midst of churches is this one, like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. What this is saying is that because of resurrection, because of Easter, death died. And Jesus holds in his hands the keys over death. So let me ask this question. What does it mean for you, to, for you today that death has died? Let's see how it plays out among people who believe in that. James and Peter. Herod doesn't believe it so much. So on that Easter, the Bible says that James was killed. So first of all, when death has died then living means dying. When death has died, if Jesus has rose again, then living means dying. All right. So for James, remember James was part of the inner three, Peter, James, and John. He was one of those who saw the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Jesus in his glory. Uh, and so he was with the other two, Peter and John, that saw everything that Jesus did. He was one that was discipled more than the others with Peter and John. You remember, he was part of the inner three that went with Jesus a little bit further in the Garden of Gethsemane when all the others were just a little bit away. Jesus kept him close. Now, if you spent three years discipling people so that you can carry on a church-wide, a worldwide mission, how much sense does it make to have one of those killed right off the bat? <laughs> That's not what I would do. It's probably not what you would do, but it is exactly what happened. You know, sometimes you hear someone say, I don't know why God allowed so-and-so to die. I mean, they were such good people. Have you ever heard of something like that? They would they'd make so much use for the kingdom if they were to continue on. That doesn't seem to factor in in God's thinking. 
Because in our mind, when we talk about dying, it's kind of like that's the end of it all. We cannot see any value in dying, and all our activities have ceased to exist. But listen, if we believe that death has died, there is something that happens glorious in the saint that dies. That there is a message declared when a follower of Jesus dies. So, why does God have James get killed right off the bat. What do you think Peter's thinking? (laughs) Peter's in prison. Does he think he's going to get killed? Why not? (laughs) I mean, if James gets killed, then I'm I'm totally available to being killed too. So God is doing this to teach and to show all disciples that death is a valuable option. You are never so valuable that God says, okay, I have to keep you. And so that was one of the messages right from the beginning. Now, why does that happen? Well, first of all, living and following Christ means that you die to yourself. And there's, this is true for everyone. Now, I, it might be helpful for us to remember one of the requests that James himself made. We see this in Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 40. He kind of he got in trouble with all the other disciples because of this. The Bible says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand, and one at your left in your glory. Now that seems a little crazy to ask, doesn't it? I mean, how many of you want to do that? So, Jesus, will you let me sit at your right? I don't know who was going to go sit where, right and left, but that's the question they're asking. And so let's see how John, uh, Jesus responds to this. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink are to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but is for those to whom it has been prepared. Essentially, James asked for this. When you are asking... When you're asking for God to give great glory through you, you are simultaneously asking, God, let me suffer with you. God's glory comes through the cross. His resurrection power only comes after we die to ourselves. Now let me ask you this question again. Do you want to be used mightily by God? Are you willing to endure what is required to be used mightily by God? We can't separate these two questions. But here's the thing. If you're not willing to be used mightily by God, then what on earth will your life be for? That's a question we have to ask. And so when James is asking this, Jesus seems to know already. James, you will drink this cup. John, you will drink this cup. But John, you're going to drink this cup much later than James. And so, when death has died, that means living means dying. 
If someone has conquered death itself and life itself, that means my life is wrapped up in Jesus. And it cannot be wrapped up in myself. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11-13, Paul says it this way. The saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, we also will reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It was Jim Elliott, after reading and pondering this verse in, in 1956, wrote this simple saying in his journal. He said, I have done no suffering, therefore I will do no reigning. And that's when he purposed within himself that I will give up things I cannot keep so that I will gain what I cannot lose. And then, of course, he was speared uh, by Indians uh, near Ecuador. And so it's this idea. If you want to see God glorify himself through you, he does it through people who die to themselves. Philippians 1.14, Paul says, Most of my brethren have been made confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. You need to understand that when a believer dies, God uses it to glorify himself. We live in the internet age and we are constantly now being bombarded with, with believers who are being martyred. And do you, you need to know that probably somebody somewhere today is going to be Persecuted and killed because they're a believer. It is such a rampant thing that it happens almost daily. Just knowing that, how does that change how you think? Just to know that. See, when Jesus died on the cross, it lets us know that all our life has been bought by him. And so to die is how we live. And sometimes we think, you know, it's just an incredible thing that someone's willing to die for Jesus Christ. But, you know, when we're baptized, what do we say when we're baptized? Buried with him in death. Risen to walk in newness of life. The very beginning of our walk with Jesus Christ is an understanding that I'm dead to myself. I die for my goals. So if God calls us to that physically, it has already been wrapped up in this thing of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And if we live in such a Disney world that we don't see that, do we? And so it smacks us as strange and unusual when we see people lined up and being beheaded. Friends, that has been the norm for 2,000 years for the church. We have lived in an unusual season of church history. But most of church history is more like you've seen on the internet than what you have seen in your neighborhood. But it's been the the origin. As the early church was celebrating Easter, they did so remembering James' death. But there's more to this. If death has died, and when death has died, then that means living means hoping. You see, if Jesus was willing to die on the cross, that means I must be willing to die on the cross. But if Jesus rose again from the, from, the, from the grave, no longer do I live for the stuff of this earth. I'm dead to this. But also, I always have hope. 
Because if God can raise Jesus from the dead, then he can also deliver me from any circumstance. And so you've got James over here that God uses Herod to encourage the church and to let him know that that Jesus is worth dying for. And then you've got Peter who gets miraculously saved, rescued from his prison to let everyone know that if Jesus rose from from the dead, that he can also have the power to deliver you. And so here is Peter. He has every reason to think that, man, you know, I'm headed for the chopping block as well. I don't know what he was thinking about, uh, but I think it's interesting that he was able to sleep. Angel had to wake him up. How would you be? (laughs) You see, he had already settled this when he followed Jesus Christ. This is a different one than the one who denied Jesus three times on the night of his crucifixion. He's totally different because the Holy Spirit has come in. And that's been the difference, guys. It wasn't the fact that he was exposed to Jesus. It wasn't the fact that he saw him in the Garden of Gethsemane. The difference for Peter was the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit at work in your life? The Holy Spirit has such power within him that he can allow you to sleep even if you're headed for the chopping block the next day. He believed something. It's called Easter. He believed that Jesus rose again from the dead and he had nothing to fear. But he was surprised when the angel wakes him up. He, he thought it was a vision. Do you remember reading that? All this while, this is all happening. He's like, well, this is a great vision. This is a great dream. Until he's actually outside of the prison and filled with cool air. He's like, whoa, this wasn't a dream. I, I'm awake. He went to the church who was praying for him. So when death has died, that means living means hoping. See, God wasn't frustrated. Sometimes we think, God, maybe you weren't paying attention when James was in prison, and then all of a sudden Peter was like, oh, wow, I better wake up. That wasn't what God was doing. He was aware the whole time. He was aware the whole time what was happening. And so God is at work. And the angel was a means of rescue for Peter. Interesting as we put these things together. You've got Herod. Let's look at Herod for a little bit. All right? Herod is motivated by one simple thing. Did you catch it in the story? Why did he have Herod or James killed? And then why did he want to seek out Peter? Because he saw that it pleased the people. And he was about the praises of the people. All right? So what happens later on is as that little, that little theme in his life, and we've got to be aware of that. I mean, no one wakes up in, in a day and says, man, you know what? I wonder how many people I can get to not like me. All right? I, I don't really know anybody that's, that's thinking that way. Like, man, I wonder if I can get some people really angry at me today. Um, and it happens, right? But it's not necessarily our goal. Most of us like to be liked, and we view it as harmless. But Herod gives us a picture of what that attitude, that goal, does. The praises of the people leads you to be anti-God, eventually. When you are nurtured by the praises of others, 
it will leave you inevitably to be against God. So let's, let's see how that happens uh, in Herod's life. You've got the, the seed of it here uh, in James and Peter, but then you've got the rest of the story, so to speak. Verse 20 gives us the, the background here. Uh, people of Tyre and Sidon uh, was not necessarily in his region. Uh, Herod's region was the, was the one that produced the bread. Um, and so uh, Tyre and Sidon, they wanted that bread, uh, depended on the king's country for food. And so Herod comes, and he's got his, he's got his stuff on. He's got his, his nice Armani outfit. Uh, he's got his Louis Vuitton. I mean, he's, got, he's, 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 he's decked out and the clothes, right? And so everyone sees his royal robes. And he sits down, and he starts speaking to him, And the people start shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Now, what does someone who loves the praises of people do with that? He totally believes it. He totally believes what people say about him. Y'all don't believe what people say about you. <laughs> All right? If they really knew you, they wouldn't say that, would they? I mean, that's how it is for me. I'm just like, you, you say that just because you don't know me. You don't know my heart. And so Herod wasn't looking at the sin of his own heart. He was looking at the praises of the people around him, and he was believing it. And so he's, he's kind of like, you know, you're right. I am like God. I'm not just a man. I'm, I am someone to be adored, someone to be worshipped. And so, immediately, the angel of the Lord struck him down. See, when death has died, then to pretend it hasn't is death. If death has died, if, if Easter has come, if Jesus rose again from the dead saying that it's better to worship me than anything in this world, then to pretend that didn't happen is death. To say, you know what? Yeah, Jesus died for me, but I'm going to keep on living for money. I'm going to keep on living for houses. I'm going to keep on living for my job, living for my family. I'm going to live for the praises of my people. I'm going to pretend like Jesus didn't die on the cross and rose again and live for the viewpoint of my peers. That itself is dying is tragic in his death. Nepal, new believers, worshiping Jesus Christ, and they get terrorized, and their place gets burnt, and they get beat up, and some of them are killed. Never had much stuff, barely in the kingdom of God, and get wiped out. Sounds tragic. But how much more tragic is the person who lives and grows up in America, hears the kingdom of God, hears the word of God, is somewhat indifferent to that, and says, let me live for what other people says is worth living for, and they start living for the praises of people. They spend their long years living, making a what we call good life, riches, houses, cars, uh, retirement place, and they spend their life pursuing these things, and they live 80 years living for things of this world, and they die anyway. Let me ask you, which is more tragic? 
If Jesus didn't rise again, then that's great. Live for all the things of this world. Because you know what? It's the best life you're going to get. But if Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day, then that means everything else must submit to this one simple person of Jesus Christ is Lord. When death has died, then to pretend it hasn't is death. Here Herod is thinking, Jesus? Oh yeah, I saw him get crucified. Yeah, there's some crazy stuff being said of him rising again. But you know what? I killed James. He's one of the big three. Jesus isn't much. So what does God do? <laughs> God rescues Peter to let Herod know. Herod, you don't call the shots. And yeah, that death of James, I'm using that for my own glory. And there will come a day when I will give you to yourself and your thinking that life is about the praises of people. You see, if you are dead set to say that you're going to live for comfort, live for people, and the praises of people, God will allow you to do so. Do you know that? In fact, he may live, allow you to live a good long life doing so. But there will be a day when God calls his accounts to, to be judged. And that's what happens here with Herod. And he thought he was something. But he could not even stop worms. From killing them. <laughs> we think we're beautiful. We think we're glorious. But when it's all said and done, we decompose like the rest. Unless you believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. That's the beauty we have right here. Do you have that? Do you believe that Jesus rose again from the dead? If you do, then that means, if death has died, that means living means dying. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all died to themselves. If we believe that Jesus rose again from the dead, then that means living means hoping. There's not any circumstance whatsoever that God cannot deliver us from if he wants to. We can be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before the fires of Nebuchadnezzar and say, God, you know, say, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to worship God. I'm not going to bow down to this idol. You can throw me in the fire if you want to, but we believe that God can deliver us from the fire. But even if he doesn't, let it be known that we love God more than you and our own lives. <laughs> if death has died, then living means hoping in any circumstance that you're in. And if death has died, then that means pretending like it hasn't, is death. Jesus said it this way, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What if you get the adoration of everybody that you're 
disobeying God for? Isn't it crazy? Disobey God so you get adoration of people you don't even really like? What if you get everybody's praises? What if you get your nest egg? What if you get the comfortable home? What if you get a good reputation and yet you still die and you're judged by God? What if you fool the people around you thinking that you're good, but God knows your heart all along the way? What do you get from that if Jesus rose from the dead? Do you know Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord? Do you believe that he rose again from the dead? Not mentally, do you believe it? But does your life demonstrate it? Does living look like dying to the things of this world? Does it look like hoping in anything? Or is it some kind of illusion? And you're really living for the stuff of this world. Are you living for what your eyes see, what your flesh desires? Are you living for the pride that comes in your life? All of this is not of the Father. That is of the world. And this world will pass away. And all these desires will pass away. But the person who does the will of God lives forever. Let's pray.